The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Empire. Will 2021 get kids playing again? There's a lot of focus right now around school. And how do we get kids, young kids, back to playing school and, uh, and the benefits of doing so and, and the potential lower risk in those? And I think there has to be a similar frame to understand the value of, of youth sports. That's Jeremy Goldberg, president of League Apps. As a pandemic continues to rage, plans for addressing the present and future of youth sports are in the works. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. This week, we're presenting a three-part series on the past, present, and future of youth sports after a year of shutdowns. The effect has been profound, and just getting life back to normal, and the game's going again, that's not going to be a cure-all solution for access. In part one, we discuss where we are. Our guests in part one of the series, Youth Sports State of an Industry, are Renata Simrel, the CEO of Play Equity Fund, and Jeremy Goldberg, the president of League Apps. Thank you both for being here. Thank you for having me. Renata, let me start with you, uh, and Jeremy, if you would just kind of follow. um, The state of youth sports here at the end of 2020, due to a pandemic forcing a pause around the country and the world, for that matter, where are we? We're uh, exactly where you said we are, Bram. Um, we're at a pause. Um, you know, we were starting to uh, open up over the summer as the COVID cases started to decline, but with the uptick uh, in the fall, um, we've gone back to um, safer at home protocols. Um, the high school sports, uh, even working out, has been put on hold. Uh, we're not doing any programming at our community or school based levels. And so uh, we're pretty much, um, you know, regulated to um, hiking and finding ways to stay active and to stay strong, um, you know, within home confinement rules, particularly in the state of California, but certainly across the country. Yeah, and I, and I think what I see is in addition to kind of the, the pause and the kind of ebbs and flows based on government regulation, I think the, the macro trends that I see is that what was true of youth sports before is even more true now. And one of the places that's probably most magnified is whatever inequities that existed in the system are just magnified. And that's true both of healthcare, it's true of education, but it's, but it's true in the youth sports sector as well. So, you know, for example, you know, I know there's recent data that says that if, if, a, if an average household um, you know, had children that were playing for two hours a week during the pandemic, um, you know, if you're a lower income household, you were less than 50% likely to be uh, participating in terms of overall time. So th- th- those dynamics, I think, have been magnified um, and, you know, create a more urgency for us to kind of get our arms around what's happening in these sports and, and how we really improve the industry. Um, I, I want to get into some of those details in a moment, but as we're taping today, there are people receiving the first vaccine. So I just, I'm curious how you all see what appears to be light at the end of the tunnel at some point in 2021. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell 
take that first. Um, you know, I think it's very encouraging, first and foremost. Um, you know, the sooner we can get the vaccine widespread, the more um, quick, with the more quickly we're able to get back to, you know, to the new normal, as it were. But, you know, I think to Jeremy's point about the inequities, um, you know, I think it's going to be a while before we see the vaccine at the community level. You know, just the read I'm getting is, you know, first responders, you know, critical patients, um, before it's widespread. And I think um, as you point to, as Jeremy pointed to the inequities, you know, with households from youth sports, you can also um, point to those inequities in the healthcare system. And I, so I think access to the vaccines at the grassroots community-based black and brown underserved, under-resourced communities is certainly going to be critical um, to being able to get us back to normal at that level. Um, so while encouraging, um, you know, certainly still um, a focus that we have in terms of ensuring that that vaccine gets widespread as quickly as particularly in those communities that are hardest hit by this COVID vaccine, by, uh, vac just by this COVID-19 um, pandemic. And certainly, um, you know, there's data that point it points to black and brown communities, particularly given pre-existing co uh, conditions, have been hardest hit, um, you know, by this COVID-19 pandemic. And, you know, I think, Graham, one of the things that I see is there's a question of, of with the vaccine kind of coming and to Bernardo's point, the question of who's going to get it and when is still out there. Uh, what, 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 is, what does that mean for youth sports in this period of continued uncertainty? And I think there, I think there's a lot of focus right now around schools and how do we get kids, young kids back to playing school and, uh, and the benefits of doing so and, and the potential lower risk in those. And I think there has to be a similar frame to understand the value of, of youth sports um, has similar kind of, of, of value for kids, right? Not only just the kind of health, uh, mental and physical well-being, but being being able to kind of be active with your teams and learn kind of how to overcome adversity. And so as we prioritize, even in this period of, of kind of hopeful transition to getting past the pandemic, I think it's really important that we're understanding the importance of making sure that the kids have access to sport. And then coming out of this, you know, in a, in a world in which we're all vaccinated and quote unquote, life gets back to some kind of new normal, I think there are still a lot of fundamental questions we should be asking now about youth sports. And, and what we can do to shape and influence this for the better. So what are the fundamental questions you want asked? Well, I think there, there's a couple of bigger opportunities. If, if I think about where we're sitting as a country right now, you, you're, you're dealing with uh, not only this kind of massive health crisis, you're dealing with kind of magnified inequities, and you're dealing with uh, a, a massive amount of kind of lack of social cohesion or conflict in our society. And sports is an amazing antidote to that, right? The idea that you can have a place where, where people can come together with different backgrounds play as part of a diverse team, learn how to be leaders. And so I think the first thing I'd say is recognizing the central role that sports can play, youth sports in particular, and really addressing a lot of the issues in our society and embracing them. And I think part of that also recognizes that youth sports is not just about getting kids to play sport. It's understanding the range of, of outcomes that happen when kids are playing sports. And I know Renata, what LA84 Foundation has done is really highlighted a lot of those things. And so then the question is, yeah. if we understand it, it matters. Then I think the question is, how do we then make that system better, more equitable, more professional, more inclusive, um, so that kids are stay in that system longer because of the benefits it has? Yeah, 100%. If I can jump in here, Bram, um, you know, that is precisely why the Play Equity Fund was established. It's really to highlight the crisis that we call hiding in plain sight, that the lack of access and opportunities to sport and structured play is a crisis hiding in plain sight. And I believe that, um, to Jeremy's point, we've gotten away from the true value of sports, structured play, and movement as an essential element of an rich life. And as a byproduct of that, we aren't prioritizing the policy and funding decisions to ensure that all kids who want to play have the opportunity to play. 
Um, and certainly we believe in the research that we've seen, the work that we do with community-based organizations, school-based organizations, is that sport and structured play, when done right, can create conditions for kids to succeed. And they do that in three ways. We call them three A's. By building affiliation, a sense of belonging, and positive identity, sort of countering that negative, um, you know, the negative um, opportunities that exist in, in communities, particularly underserved, under-resourced communities, so affiliation being one. Um, advocacy, helping them build advocacy um, and resiliency, if you will, through the coach mentor, so having a positive role model in their lives. And then the third is agency, being able to, um, to factor in that connection between effort and success. And those are three critical elements to create conditions for any kid to succeed, but particularly kids in the communities that we serve that don't, um, don't naturally have those three elements in their lives, um, family-wise or school-wise. And so to Jeremy's point, um, you know, sport is not just a nice-to-have. It is a must-have um, in many of the communities that we serve. And you know, getting back to um, sport as quickly as we can is not about you know, cheering on your team, but it's, again, really creating – um, those opportunities for kids to thrive and succeed and become their best selves through sport. Jeremy, what did you what did you learn through all these disparities here that have kind of been exacerbated? I mean, we've seen this in a lot of different sectors, obviously, service industry, frontline workers, communities that are forced to go back to work maybe early and unsafely. But in youth sports, you're seeing them, too, and you're talking about them. Um, what did you learn this year? There's a, there's a few things of insights that I have. I think the first is, you know, we, we talk about kind of recognizing privilege, right? We talk about recognizing white privilege, the conversations that we're having around um, equity and access in our society. And I, and I think there's a form of sports privilege we have to acknowledge that we take for granted that we have fields that, that kids can get to safely, that they have quality programs that are there, that they have trained coaches. And there's no reason why in, 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 a, in a specific uh, area, let's, let's call it outside of Dallas, there is a, a, an organization and kids in a particular community that right now don't have access to field spaces and they can't play and the organizations are shut down. And yet 15 miles away, there's a private facility that has access to spaces where those kids are figuring out how to play now. There's nothing fair about that. And we haven't designed the system to really kind of understand and address that. And I think the second thing is, is that kind of recognizing that if the, that youth sport is not only something that mirrors systemic racism and a lot of the challenges in our society, but, but you can make an argument that it also contributes to it, right? Because at the age of four or five, kids that don't have access to those kinds of experiences are being denied the leadership benefits, the, the mentorship benefits that ultimately translate into admission into schools, scholarship opportunities, the ability to come into the workforce and have more success. I think the Aspen Institute studies show that 8% of, of, of earnings are higher for people that are playing youth and team sports than if they don't, right? So when we talk about kind of the ability to build equity in, in our society, sports plays in a critical role. And I think people's eyes have been open to that um, and laid bare during this process. And I think the second thing is, is recognizing that we all have power to address that, right? That, that ultimately, if we, we take the same kind of entrepreneur, entrepreneurship and the creativity and the intention that we're bringing um, into our organizations, we can bring that, that same kind of spirit to making sure that every kid has access into the system. Renata, I want to simplify this for a moment because, you know, I, I think somebody who's listening to this and even as I'm listening to it, it's, I'm sitting here going, but can't you just get a ball, get your friends together, go find a place to go play the game so can you help me understand how profound the access issue actually is in youth sports? Sure. I try to, I try to digest it down. Let's, um, let's take the school-based context as one example. Um, so normal areas where you kids can play is PE and recess. But across this country, school districts mandate PE one to two days a week. One to two days a week. Uh, recess, 
you know, good luck if the kids can run around for, you know, for 10 minutes or so, you know, in between classes to get the endorphins and the brains kicking in so that they can actually be ready to learn. Um, I think you can see the assault of high school sports. Um, you know, there was a report, you know, last, last year that Oakland Unified School District was eliminating um, half of its sports programs, you know, in a $5 million cost savings. Um, you can see what's going on in New York with the right to play. Um, and the inequities that exist in school-based sports and um, in black and brown communities compared to um, in, in c- compared to um, you know more affluent communities. Um, you could look at middle school sports in Los Angeles, but for um, the program that the LA84 Foundation funds with LAUSD, you cannot find middle school sports um, in our public schools, particularly in um, the poor communities. You compare that to private schools, you know, where you have PE five days a week. Um, you have sports programs at the elementary, middle, and high school level um, that are quite robust. And then if we go to the community level, access to parks and open space um, and the ability, um, because of economic disparities, to afford the program fees, um, safe passage in the higher crime areas. And then if you do have a park um, or open space within your community, the assault that um, municipalities are having on their budget um, you know, they're they're often folk, folks forced to rent their facilities as a revenue co- uh, measure to the pay-to-play models that pretty much, um, you know, have eliminated free play in many of the parks. And I think to Jeremy's point earlier about the privilege and, you know, just the abundance of sport activities has really put a um, premium on park space, open space within more affluent areas. And so they're moving more toward, in our case, the east side, um, to be able to access those sport opportunities. So we see AYSO, travel teams, club teams, you know, renting these facilities through these um, leases at the park and recreation facilities that make it almost impossible for community and grassroots organizations or just kids that are down the street, like when I grew up, just to go and do exactly what you said, grab a couple of friends and go a basketball or soccer ball and just go play around on, on the field. So it has become um, a crisis, as I said earlier, hiding in plain sight, that just the basic elements of being able to run, throw, kick, play with your friends uh, is not afforded to everyone equally. There's been a reset, obviously, for everything, and clearly in, in youth sports as well. And Jeremy, and we've used this word opportunity a lot, and it feels like the wrong word because of what's going on, but it's the only word we can come up with. So here the industry has an opportunity, and that opportunity is to do what? Yeah, it, it's a great question. And, and I think opportunity is the right word because I think the, the honest truth is before the pandemic, a lot of these issues were already present. We just have an opportunity to talk about them in much more stark ways or as a society embrace some of these conversations or recognize our own agency or sense of responsibility to them. And so with that opportunity, I think the first thing I'd say is embracing the professionalization of youth sports, right? We don't want our kids to be professional, right? They should be kids, right? They should be playing uh, in, in, in free unstructured play and organized play, school settings, whatever it may be. But the people involved in youth sports, we want them to be as professional as possible, right? Training, accountability, right? Running their organizations professionally, uh, recognizing their own set of responsibilities. And so whether that's uh, the, the, the investment that they're making in professional development or various kinds of certifications, I think that's an important aspect for that opportunity. I think the second thing is, is that there often is a lens in youth sports where we're focusing on, you know, the 100,000 plus organizations that are involved with that, as opposed to actually focusing on the kids that, that we're trying to reach and getting more kids in the system. And I think what we, we can start to recognize is there's different ways to be able to reach those kids, right? How organizations with greater scale, how pro leagues and pro teams engage, how school systems engage. 
So I think being imaginative about the delivery mechanism of the various kinds of sports experiences, recognizing that what existed in the past might not exist in the future, and that's okay. And I think third is there's a really important opportunity for technology to play, right? It allows for us to deliver things at scale, and it allows for us to see data to understand where are their play deserts, where are kids not having access, what are programs where, where, which are having high retention that we could take and translate those best practices to other places. And so I think the ability of embracing innovation, embracing the professional responsibilities, we can really make a difference and, and, and hopefully use this crisis, you know, not waste this crisis to actually make some, some long-lasting changes. Yeah, Bram, Bram I'd, I'd add two things. One is, to me, it's very simple, is that people, people prioritize and fund that which they value. So I think the, the point of sport being a must-have, not a nice-to-have, and, and the context of how it helps create conditions for kids to succeed, we need to elevate the important role that sports plays in an enriched life, period. Let's, let's, let's create that as a value proposition um, for all communities. And certainly then looking through an equity lens of how do we work together collectively to change those systems um, that have um, oppressed black and brown communities in particular. And so one of the examples, um, you know, in terms of working together is a, a partnership that we formed, the Play Equity, Form, Play Equity Fund formed in response to the racial, um, you know, unrest and protests over the deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and so many others is the 11 professional sports teams came together and they said they wanted to do something. Um, and that what can we do, you know, not just in our individual philanthropy, but what can we do as a collective? You know, what common purpose can we have to bring our energy, our platform, our resources, our influences, our influence to be able to drive system changes so that we're not, um, so that we're evaluating, evaluating the important role that sports plays, but also influencing policymakers and legislators to direct funding precisely where we know it works, school-based sports, community-based sports, park and recreations, infrastructure development. And so we've formed this five-year partnership with what we call the Alliance, LA, um, to focus on uh, K through 12 um, and after-school um, sports programs by helping to um, develop leadership um, qualities within young kids who are in sports programs, so student athletes at the high school level, to be able to identify those injustices and equities that exist in our communities and to be able to help them advocate, to find their voice, um, to really influence legislators to say when the state of California, as one example, is looking to cut $100 million out of the um, after-school sports programs, um, is for the students and the, the platform of the 11 teams to be able to say, no, that's not right, and that we need to continue the funding and, in fact, increase the funding so that we're providing kids the opportunities um, to be able to create a pathway to lifelong well-being through what we know works and sport and structure play. We know works to help do that. So I think it's elevating the important role of sports. And then we've got to work as a collective, focus on a common agenda to drive those systems so that we have long-term sustained funding into those programs that we know work. Um, this may be off topic, but I'm, I'm just curious your perspective, Jeremy. Um, the pandemic has also forced a lot of major universities to make some decisions in their athletic departments. There's a lot of non-revenue sports that are being cut across the nation. Do you think there's going to be a trickle-down effect to youth sports? Yeah, there, there absolutely will be. And I, and I think that there's a, a few different aspects of that. One is right now the, the, the potential for admission and scholarship is very linked to a lot of things that are happening in youth sports. So as there are budget cuts and changes um, within, within the, the collegiate system, uh, that may very well have some impact on, the kind of incentives or aspects of these sports. And, and, and I do think there's an opportunity. I think one of the things that's happening right now 
is the approach on youth sports is a scarcity model. It's basically saying if there's a limited number of scholarship spots or admissions to schools, then the more that my kids have specific access to specific tournaments or specific events or specific teams, the better off I'm going to be. The moment that your frame switch, switches and says, wait a second, if my kids play sports, it's, they're more likely to be leaders. They're more likely to be effective uh, employees and team members in the world of automation. They're more, more likely to be able to work effectively as part of the first team. The more that I start to think about that, the more that you don't think about scarcity, actually, you want more people in this system because it benefits the, the, the benefits and outcomes that you want from youth sports. So I do think that the, the changes will, will affect some of that narrative. I think the other thing about, about college, and you know, I, I, I love uh, listening and reading a lot of Scott Galloway's work, professor from NYU who reimagines the disruption that might happen in higher education. I think the reality is all of these systems and institutions, there are opportunities for disruption. And I don't think we can romanticize the days of the Sandlot or the days when I was dominating wiffle ball games in my backyard or the JCC leagues in Dallas. Like youth sports is going to be different. And that doesn't have to be a bad thing, right? If we can reimagine institutions and systems that are more inclusive, that are more professional, that are more innovative, with more kids in the system, then every, everybody, I think, can benefit from, from that design. The same way I think that kind of institutional changes and reform will exist at the collegiate level. So I've got my hands full focusing on youth sports, uh, but we'll leave it to Scott and others to think about collegiate. But I think that link is going to be clear. One of, Bram, one of the statistics that we track in terms of, you know, what I said earlier is that 92% of student athletes in the um, city section uh, in California graduate uh, from college, or graduate from high school and go on, to, go on to play sports in college. Many of those obviously don't go on to be a professional athlete, but when you look at 92%, of student athletes at high school levels and our public schools go on to graduate, well, not public, but public and private schools, you know, that's a significant statistic if they're not those scholarships um, available at the collegiate level. You know, I think that we can see not just a um, change in youth sports, um, but also a change in the pathways that young people, who that's their own, only opportunity to pay for college, um, is going to be interrupted. And I think it's, um, it's something that we're definitely paying attention to and focused on. And I agree with Jeremy in terms of we're in this moment of disruption. You know, how do we, um, you know, make sure that those pathways to lifelong well-being are still open for young people, um, you know, as we're starting to see um, a lot of um, cuts in collegiate programs due to the economic crisis resulting from COVID. All right, let's uh, leave you both with one final thought, which is of all the things we've talked about here, let's get a vision for youth sports in 2025. Renata, what do you see in five years? <laughs> what do I see in five years or what do I um, wish for in five years? What do you wish for? I wish that uh, the Biden administration, with whomever they selected their secretary of education, you know, in, embodies the value of sport and structured play and ensures that in every K through 12 public school across this country, the kids who want to play have an opportunity to play school-based sports. And I will, um, I will, I will be optimistic. So it's, it's not just a vision or a wish. I believe that this will happen. Uh, I have a confession on my background. I've, I've focused on believing that there'd be Arab and Israeli peace. So I'm still waiting for that. But, but I do believe that we're going to be looking at a youth sports industry that's more professionalized, more accountable, more innovative, uh, using data and, and professional development and community to deliver better outcomes. And ultimately, I think I believe that more, more kids will be in the system having better experiences because we're going to be a lot more intentional about making that happen. And I think there's a role that government can play. I think there's a role that the market can play. And as important, there's a role that parents can play uh, in valuing and understanding the critical role that youth sports will play for all kids. And if we can do that, I think we can address a lot of issues, not just in youth sports, but in our society and, and create more, more reasons why we feel a, a broader sense of community uh, and an inclusive community at that. Jeremy Goldberg is the president of League Apps, and Renata Simrel is the CEO of the Play Equity Fund. Thank you both for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much.
on the next Future Sport Podcast, part two of our three-part series on the state of youth sports, the business of doing good. Everything from meeting my husband to pretty much every uh, job I've I've, uh, had the pleasure of of having over my career uh, somehow ties back to if I hadn't won that gold medal, if I hadn't participated in sports, that that wouldn't have happened. That's Benita Fitzgerald Mosley, former Olympian and president of Fun Play, who hopes the business of sports can thrive so that all kids can gain more access. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com.